Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. Hey, hey. Good morning, good morning. Great to see all of you guys this morning. So glad that you guys are here. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday fun day. Well, what I want to do, I want to start this morning by answering the question that all of you have, which is, what's going on for Easter? Because I know that's what every one of you are, no, no, did I, did I miss that one? Okay, here's actually why I bring it up. Easter is four weeks away. And now for some of you, you're like, okay, yep, I'm going to come to church, I'm going to go, that's what it is, I know what Easter is, thank you so much. Um, but here's something you might not realize about Easter, and here's what it is. Um, you and I, you're here, so you probably have an idea of what Easter is about. We celebrate Jesus' resurrection what he did and what that all accomplished for us. But here's something you might not know about Easter, and that's this. We are told that people, are more, people that are far from God are more likely to say yes to an invitation to church on Easter. Now, that doesn't make sense to me, but it's like, but they're far from God. So why would that make a difference? But just statistically, you have a higher chance of someone saying yes on Easter. So let me challenge you with this is invite someone for Easter. And you want to make Easter the greatest service, it, your favorite service ever? I will tell you how. It is not what we do up here that will do it. It's when you bring somebody who's far from God, and at the end of the service, we give an altar call, and you peek, and you see their hand go up. It will be your best Easter ever. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. So let me just say, Easter is right around the corner. So one, be thinking about who you're going to invite. And the other thing is this, is we do. We have some people that will show up on Easter that aren't normally a part. And so if you would like to be a part of making room and making church as awesome as it is every day for the extras that come, then we can make room for you, and we have opportunities for you to jump in. We, we still have two services, so you could serve one and just make it great for somebody. Maybe be the person in the hallway that's saying hello or the person that, that cleans up in between services or, or hangs out with the kids and, and then does some studies with them. You don't have to learn any of the studies, but you could help just be another body that holds a baby or something. And just one week, no obligation. But if you're wanting to do that, if you want to get involved in kids, we bring it up now because we run a background check on just everybody that wants to be back there. Uh, we try to do our due diligence to make sure that it's not only a safe place where they're growing spiritually and getting poured into, um, but we do everything we can to make sure it's safe and know what's going on. So you got four weeks for that. Be praying about who to invite. And even on that invite front, Maybe there's somebody that you've already invited, like, but maybe you've only invited them like five or six times. Like, invite them again. I, I ran into a guy not so long ago, and we just got talking about church, and I was like, do you have a church? He's like, I do. And I was like, that's awesome. He's like, yeah, just, just kind of really just started going. And I'm like, well, what made you want to start going to church? And he goes, actually, I got invited. And, I, and that just really piqued my interest, because I was like, so what made you go? Like, you got invited, like, what did, they, what did they say? What did they do that made you go? And, and he goes, well, honestly, I just ran out of excuses. He invited me so many times. But it worked. So maybe this is the, maybe you're like, I've invited them six. I've invited them eight times. Maybe all they need is number nine, D9, or whatever it is. But be open to that. I'm excited for that. And this week, we're going to start something new. And we're going to look really closely at the book of Ephesians in your Bible. Now, the Bible is an awesome 
awesome book, um, but it's not just like any other book. It's totally different. The Bible was written over a 1,500-year span by at least 40 authors on three continents in three different languages. There's 66 books, and yet none of them contradict each other. There's some controversial stuff in there, but they do not contradict each other. It's not like any other book. It was written by, again, 40-some authors. I, I know it's like that. We don't know exactly on every single book who wrote them, and there's some that are under question, which is why I just leave it at 40-some. But the thing is, is it was authored by one person, and that was God. And God, as the author, inspired through the Holy Spirit different people through different, at different times, different continents, and all over the world to write the Bible, and that's what we're looking at today. So today we're going to look at, very specifically, the book of Ephesians. But let me just encourage you, bring your Bible. Um, all my overachievers, go ahead and read ahead, all right? You have my, just, just, just read through Ephesians. So you can read through some of this, like, during the week. Ephesians is a smaller book of the Bible. There's only six chapters in it. Feel free to read ahead. Another thing is, bring your Bible. Bring it with you. And, and here, I know most of us have it on our phones, and I love the YouVersion Bible app. If you don't have that on your phone, get it. It's free. It's got multiple versions of the Bible. Here's, here's my favorite thing about it is it will read the Bible to you. I love that. I can be doing projects and, and listen to Bible at the same time. But there's something different about paper and being able to take notes and read it for yourself from God's Word while we're going through it. There's something so different. Years ago, um, I got really sad. I was, in, I was in college down in Oklahoma, and I lost my Bible. And I was super bummed because I had so many notes written in it. Um, I, I could find different verses by the little pictures I had written and, you know, different parts of it. And I was like, oh, I can't believe I lost it. But I was like, okay. You know, I looked everywhere. And honestly, I'll tell you what I thought happened is I thought that Brian sold it. Like, that's honestly what I thought. Because on the way back from school, he ran out of gas and literally sold a Bible. And when mine was missing, I was like, I wonder if Brian sold it. And then, anyways, that's a whole other story, but it was gone. So I'm like, man, I, I, I lost this thing. Well, it was about, I want to say eight or nine years later, that I get a call from a church in Oklahoma, the church that I went to in college. And they're like, um, you left your Bible here on Sunday, and it turned up in the lost and found. And I'm like, no, I did not leave my Bible there on Sunday. And I'm like, what in the world? And like, no, are you Samuel Vanderklag? I said, yeah. They're like, well, they're like, your name is at the front of this Bible. And I'm like, how in the world? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, well, the last time I was there, they had a conference, and it was like something like a year before. I was like, oh, it must have, I must have had something that had my name in it then. And I'm like, well, I'm in, I'm in Michigan. They said, no problems. Give us a dress. We'll send you the Bible. So they send me my Bible, and I get this box, and I'm like, is it my Bible? Like, really? So I open this thing up, and it is my college Bible that I lost over nine years ago. So I get this thing, and I'm so excited. And so sure enough, I open this thing up, and right in the front of it, it says Samuel. My name is written huge right there. I'm like, okay, that's how they found me. All right, I see it. It's, it's that right there. But then I start looking through some of the notes. I was so excited to get it back. And as I'm turning through some of the notes, I'm like, oh, yeah, I wrote that. And then I turn the page, and I'm like, I would never have used that highlighter. Like, wait a second. And I turn another page, and I'm like, I didn't write that. Like, some, 
What? Somebody used my Bible for nine years, took notes in it, wrote things down, like, thank you, Jesus, for in a stolen Bible. It had my name in the front of it for nine years. And they never gave it back. They lost it. And then the church gave it back. So another reason to bring your Bible is you might lose it and somebody else could use it for nine years. Just, just there's another reason to bring your Bible on Sundays. But what we're going to do is we're going to jump right into Ephesians. And we're going to go through this. We'll take a pause for Easter and stuff, but we're going to take however long it takes to kind of get through here. And Ephesians is a really fun book of the Bible. And what I absolutely love about it is we jump right into the beginning as it says this, Ephesians 1, verse 1. Paul, again, so Paul is the one who wrote it, but who authored it? Everybody say God. God. God, God authored it. Paul wrote it. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will, he, right in the beginning, he's like, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So right away, he's saying, look who this is to. This is written to Christians. This is written to Christ followers. And really what he's going to do here is he's going to unpack what it is to be a Christ follower and what it means. He's going to make it known, this is what happened to you. This is what it means to be a Christian. Most Christians today, unfortunately, when they think of what it means to be a Christian, and if you were to ask them what it means, they'd be like, um, it would kind of boil down to a get-out-of-jail-free card. Like, like I'm, not, I'm not going to hell. <laughs> it's a get-out-of-hell card. Like, here, I'm not going there. And then, and then some will take it a little bit further, and they're like, well, not only do I get to not go to hell, but now I get to, I, I, I get to make disciples. I get, I get to share God's word with those that are around me. Others are like, you know, I, I get to use my gifts and talents and resources to build the kingdom of God. I, I get to do these things. Well, what Paul's doing is he's writing to believers and he's unpacking what this actually means. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this about what it means when we become Christ followers. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. And so really, Ephesians is making known what it is and what we are meant to be and do as believers because it is completely different. We are a new person. This uh, Friday, my dad stopped over. Most, most Fridays they come over and the, the grandkids climb all over them and they say hi to everybody. And so he, he's over and I make, I make lattes and I make him one and then he drinks and he's like, can I have another one? And I make another one, another one, like lots of them. But he comes over for lattes and grandkids, and so we're hanging out in the living room, and he says, guess what? Because you'll never guess what I found out. I said, what? He's like, my car that I've had for two years, he's like, I just figured out. I have massage chairs in that car. <laughs> and I'm like, two years? He goes, yep, I have had the car for two years, and I now know I have massage seats. There are many Christians who have been Christians for two years and longer, but they still don't know what that means. They still don't realize fully. They know parts, but they don't fully realize it. And Ephesians really has much of the answer to that question in it. It is Ephesians. So he's writing to Christians so that we don't go through life not knowing what it is. 
not knowing any of that. No, no, no. We need to know. So verse 2, he says, is this. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he's already writing to believers. And then he starts off, verse 2, and he's like, hey, grace and peace. Why does he start off with grace and peace? Because have any of you ever made a mistake? Anybody ever made a mistake after you came to know Jesus and asked for forgiveness? So he just starts right off, and he's like, grace and peace. Um, we, we've got two dogs at home. We have Sunday and Oliver, and, and they're a riot. And Oliver is the most demanding dog ever. Like, if I'm sitting down and I put my hand down, he runs over and, like, pets him. Like, he, he makes me pet him. He just, he just, you're on the couch and he sees you and he'll just jump up, dive bomb on top of you and make you, like, you have to pet him. And he just, he just goes like crazy with your hand and you're like, leave me. Oh, my goodness, I'll pet you now. Go. It's fun. One of the things I love about having a dog, though, is you come home. It doesn't matter if it's been, like, five minutes or five days, you come back home, and the dog comes running over, like, so happy to see you. I love that about dogs. Anybody have a dog at home? Raise your hand if you have a dog. Okay, okay. Raise your hand if you have a cat. Oh, my goodness. You guys need help, all of you. Cats, come on. Dogs are way better. Anyway, so back to the dogs. So we, you, I come home. The dogs come running over. They want to say hi. They're so excited that I'm there, right? Unless... See, every now and then, I'll come home or I'll walk in the house from being out for a while, and neither of the dogs will come over. And so you're at first, you're like, okay, are they downstairs? Like, what's going on? But then you're like, okay, well, maybe I should kind of figure out where the dogs are and what they're up to. So I'll call the dogs. But when the dogs won't come, then I'm like, okay, is it in its cage? Like, what's going on? But if you've ever had a dog, you, you probably know where I'm going with this. Is sometimes a dog doesn't want to come. And you come around the corner, and there's the dog sitting down. And you're like, hey. And they just, they won't even look at you. <laughs> They're like, what? Don't see you. Don't, don't see you. And it's a dog. But you're like, and what, what do you know when that dog does that? When it won't come? Or it comes like this, like, <laughs> like sideways walking over to you. What do you know? You know that thing's been naughty. You're like, where did it pee? Where did it poop? What did it chew? Like, what did it do? You know it did something. And you're like, okay, what is wrong? See, that dog realizes when you come home, it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to see you. Like, I love you, but I don't want to see you because I know I'm in trouble. So what does this next verse say? Grace and peace to you. Because when you and I, oh, God wants us to always know that we can approach him. Always. How does he look at us? What do we find in him? It's grace. And here's what grace is. Grace is undeserved favor. It's undeserved. It's not that we earn it. And we love to earn things. We, we love to earn it. And when we earn, okay, yep, I've been good. We, we love that. But grace, it's undeserved. And you might say, well, that, that's an animal, and that's a dog, and dogs do that, but, but I don't do that. I, I, I go as far to say as you might. And that's not just animals that do that. In fact, let's just go right back to the very beginning, and let's go to Genesis, and guess what happened when Adam and Eve sinned? What did they do? 
The Bible says that Jesus came, or excuse me, God came, and he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And guess what? Guess what Adam and Eve did? Did they come running? Jesus, you're here. No. No, they did not. Did they hide? Yes, they did. And when Jesus called them, he's like, or excuse me, when God called them, what, they're like, uh, no, we're not coming. He's like, we're hiding. He's like, why are you hiding? Like, because we're naked. He's like, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree I told you not to? Can you see the correlation between that dog that won't come and you and I? And so he's addressing this here, and he's like, look, it's grace and peace that comes through God. Don't feel condemnation. Because here's the thing that happens when we come to Christ. It ruins you for sin. The things that you once did, you're like, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to go there anymore. And now, for many of you, you might find yourself... You're like, but I did, and I, and I fell, and my thoughts went where they weren't supposed to. And he's like, look, grace and peace, you can come boldly before the throne of God. That we don't need to hide. We don't need that when God calls us, it's not to condemn us. It's grace and it's peace to God. We need to know that it's grace and that it's peace. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Something I want to, I want to focus in on is what it said there. It says that he has blessed us in Christ. Now, when I say in Christ, most of you, most of most Christians hear through Christ. But that's not what it says. It says, in Christ. Because most of us are like, you know, you know, what Jesus did, it's through that, that's the door, kind of walk across, okay, it's through. But that's not what it says. And this is, this is all through Scripture. If you're taking notes, just try to write it down. I'm going to go through a, several references pretty fast. But here is Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It doesn't say for those through Christ. It says in Christ. First Corinthians 1.30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, say it with me, in Christ, Ephesians 2, 10, for we are all his workmanship created, it's in Christ. Galatians 3, 26, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. It is in Christ. This is something that we, will change the way that we approach God. It will change the way that we approach the devil, works of the devil. It will change the way that we walk, that we shop, that we talk. This will change all of it. It's in Christ. Hebrews 2 has this to say about what it is that Jesus did. Hebrews 2.17. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation, there we go, for the sins of the people. The Amplified says it this way, talking about what it is that Jesus did, how he became in every way like you and me, 
fully man, born of a woman, fully man. Hebrews 2.17, this is the amplified. Therefore, it was essential that he had to be made like his brothers, mankind, in every respect so that he might, by experience, become a merciful and faithful high priest. Here's, what, here's part of what that means is this, is that what you go through, we do not have a heavenly father who cannot relate, who does not understand. He's like, I was tempted in that same way. Oh, I know. He knows. Can the merciful high priest in things related to God to make atonement or propitiation for the people's sins, therefore wiping away the sins, satisfying divine justice, in providing a way of reconciliation between God and mankind. It's you and I in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it like this, For he made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in, there's that word in, not through. It does not say through him. It says in him. We are found in him. Can, can, I, can I have my jacket here a second? Thank you so much. Okay, so this, 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 this is my jacket, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this on. So, all right, there we go. So this is it. This is my jacket. Now, when it says in Christ, if this, if this is us, if, if this jacket is my life, if this is every mistake that I've made, if this is the good, which most of us want to hold on to the good, right? We're like, I don't mind Jesus taking away the bad, but can I keep the good? Like, please? Like, like, but here it is. It's all of it. Every bit of it is there. We are in Christ. When God looks at you, we don't just take off our coats. We don't just, can I have the other one too? Thank you so much. We, we also, the other thing we don't do is we don't, see, this is my jacket, this is Jay's, but, but pretend that Jay stands for Jesus, okay? So, no, I put this on. What we don't do is we don't put Christ over top of us and have some of us and some of Christ. That's not what happens. We are found in Christ. What we do instead is you and I are made new. And the old us, okay, inside out. I can't stand inside out, but it is inside out just for now. Okay, I, I really can't. I'm sorry. Okay, there we go. All right. So he takes that out, not inside out, because that, that wouldn't be good. He takes that off, and then what he gives us is he gives us, is this inside out? No! Oh. A not inside out coat is what he gives us. We put on, we're found in Christ. Here's what that means. When God looks at us, he doesn't see what you did and like you're good and you're bad and all of this stuff. Oh, but Jesus covered it. No, we're found in Christ. It's Christ's righteousness. The perfect life that he led is now what we are clothed in. We're found in. So often, don't hear through. Yes, it's through his blood, but we're found in Christ. It's in him. When Christ, and this changes the way that we approach God. 
It's his grace and his peace that he has for us that gives us the boldness to approach him. We're fully found in him. It's in Christ. Yeah, I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to come to him. And I know it doesn't have to, ch- when I pray, I'm not like, okay, well, is God going to answer this prayer because what did I think and what did I do wrong the other day and what happened? No. The Bible says, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. The picture that that paints is of the power not coming from us. Because an ambassador is in another country, and an ambassador is just a person that represents somebody else. And that their authority doesn't come from them. And you and I, our authority is not because of how good we are or what we've accomplished or what we haven't. Can you take this? Mine can go on the floor, but let's not let Jay's. Thank you. An ambassador stands, and what they say has power because of who they represent. And we are clothed, we're found in Christ, and we are representing Christ to the world, to the demonic realm around us, and to everyone else around us as well. We are found in Christ. He's like, look, if you're a believer, you need to realize this. And as we continue through through Ephesians, you're going to find more and more of how this changes and impacts our every single day and what it means. Don't Don't be two years down the road figuring this out. Stick with us. This is going to be great. But let's go on to verse 4. And he says this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, something here we absolutely have to talk about. It's right there at the very beginning where it says, and he chose us from the foundation of the world. Wait a second. Did he choose me or did I choose him? And then it goes on and it says that we should be holy and blameless before him. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption. Well, he predestined us. Well, if I'm predestined, then why do we even need to teach about this? Now, here's here's what we want to talk about when it comes to anything that we find in the Bible. We interpret the Bible with the Bible. I remember we were having devotions when I was a kid growing up, and my mom was being funny, and she jumped, and she goes, well, I found it. And I'm like, what'd you find, mom? And she's like, I found the verse This verse right here says that it is not okay to peel a banana. And I'm like, what, mom? And she goes, no, 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 it does. It says right here, what God has joined together, let man not separate. We shouldn't peel bananas or even eat tomatoes until they fall off of the vine. And I'm like, mom, mom, mom. And she was just goofing off and she was playing with us. But if you take one verse out of the Bible, you can come up with some really crazy stuff. You can can go some crazy stuff. What we want to do is we want to see what the Bible as a whole, has to say. And it's one of the keys to understanding what the Bible says about predestination is found in Romans. It's incredibly important. Romans 8, 29. Without this verse being in the Bible, I would never have become a pastor. But here's what it says in Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, 
He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. So the Bible, does the Bible teach predestination? Yes, it does. Absolutely. But what did it say at the beginning of that? It says, for those He foreknew, He also predestined. Meaning, you're destined to do it because God knew it. So do we have free will? The answer is yes, we have free will. Because for those he foreknew, his foreknowledge, his ability to exist outside of time, he's not only all-powerful, he's not only all-present, but he's present at all times, present and before and after. He's the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. He exists outside of all of it. So when it says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined. He looked ahead, he said, if I send my son, I know every single person who will, if given the chance, will choose to be forgiven and set free, who will accept his substitute. No, he's able to see that for he foreknew it's also predestined. I've used this example before, but if I had a time machine and I could jump ahead 20 minutes and we're all dismissed and I'm sitting out in the parking lot, I could see who left, who comes out, who's got the keys, who fights over the front seat, who what. I, I, I could see all of it, whose battery is dead, who left, who locked their keys in the car. I could see all of it come right back now, and I would have foreknowledge of what was going to happen, and it would be destined to happen because I already saw it happen. But would I have control over your will? Yes or no? No. God. Let's read what it said in Romans one more time, now that we are seeing it in that light, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. I see that, and then I read verses, like verses in Hebrews, where it says about Jesus, in Hebrews 12 too, it says, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Who, for the joy set before him endured the cross. And it makes verses like that make sense. That Jesus, while he was fully God, was also fully man. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What, what would be joy that he would endure? What would be joyful in that? The fact that he was able to look and say, I know every person. Every person who will accept and receive forgiveness because of what I'm about to do and what I'm about to suffer. For the joy set before him, it was joy for him to endure it because he knew all through time, every single person. Why? For those he foreknew, he also predestined. It's foreknowledge. And I know when I say that, somebody always brings up and they say like, well, wait a second. What about, what about when God hardened Pharaoh's heart? Didn't God harden Pharaoh's heart? Did, did Pharaoh have a choice in that? Well, what they're talking about is Exodus 7, verse 3. And God's talking and he says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Well, that makes sense in light of Romans 8. See, the same sun that melts snow will harden clay. You and I get to choose what our hearts will be made of. Will we, re will we respond? How will we respond to God's word? And God knew exactly what would happen. 
when Pharaoh, when Moses came to Pharaoh, God says, I will harden his heart. But Pharaoh chose what his heart would be. But God knew exactly what was going to happen. God knew exactly what was going to happen. Pharaoh chose it. You and I chose it. Every one of us chose From the beginning, before time began, God knew exactly what was going to happen. He wasn't surprised when the devil showed up in the garden. He knew it. But he already had a plan because from the beginning of time, he chose you. The question is this, is how will we, we respond to what God is saying? For some, how will we respond? Will we admit that we need a Savior? Will we reach out to Him? For some, that's the question. Brothers, it's, it's how will we respond? Will we seek after Him with all of our heart? Or are we just kind of dabbling in this thing where, God, I want out of hell, but I don't know that I trust you. I don't, I don't know if I trust you with my life. I don't know if I trust you with my dreams. Is what you want for me really as good as what I want for me? And we, we hold our dreams close and we won't let them go. It could be a relationship that we know doesn't honor God, but we're not willing to let it go. And so we choose to harden our hearts. We know what the Bible says. Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. But it feels so good to us, so we don't let it go. It could be something at work. How will we respond? We get to make that choice over and over and over and over and over again. When God's word brings light on a subject, do we return to the dark and say, God, I won't give it to you? Or do we walk into the light and say, God, I need you? I trust you with this. I trust you with my life. And honestly, I think it can be a whole, it, it can be much easier to trust God with eternity because it's this thing that's out there. But what he wants is your heart and your life right now. He's like, do you trust me now? Watch what happens. He's not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It's how will you respond when God speaks in any and every area of your life. You choose, you have the choice. You're found in Christ. And we're going to spend several weeks, however long it takes, as we move through this and see what it is that Jesus did for us and how it's meant to change the way that we live, that we move, that in everything that we do. Because it really does change everything. And if you're like, well, it didn't for me, then make sure that you're here because it will. Make sure you're here because it will. But would you please bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to ask today, with every head bowed and every head closed, if you're here and you say, you know what, I, I need to give my life to him. I need to respond. He's calling. He's tugging on my heart. And maybe it's because you thought, well, I can just get by on somebody else's faith. I can get by on mom and dad's faith. I can get by. But today you realize you have to make that decision for you. Nobody else can make it. If you're here this morning, 
and you don't know where you stand with God, I'd love the honor of praying with you. And when we leave here today, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you stand with God. If that's you, or maybe you're here and you're like, the thing that I need to do is just commit. I've said that prayer before. I know I'm his, but I've been just doing my own thing, and today I commit to be fully his with all that I am. If you're either of those, I'd love the honor of praying with you right in your seat. And if that's you at the count of three, before me and God, I want you to shoot, be bold, and just shoot your hand up high, and we're gonna pray together. Get ready. One, two, three. Right now, shoot up and say, that's me. Awesome. Say, that's me. Today is my day. This is gonna be different. All right, hands down. Would everybody, would you repeat after me? And those that lifted your hands as you say these words, say them from your heart. Make them your own. God's going to meet you right where you are, and you're going to leave this place changed in Jesus' name. Let's all pray. Everybody say, Jesus, forgive me and make me new. I believe that you died. You shed your blood so that I could be free. Today, I'm yours. Forgive me. Make me new. And from now on, I'm going to live for you. With all that I am, I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.